Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, this is Walter Todd from Greenwood Capital. Appreciate everybody joining us this afternoon. I uh, also have John Wiseman on the phone as well. Um, before we get started, I hope this call finds everybody safe and healthy uh, during this uh, quite unusual time that we, we find ourselves in. Um, let me also um, read a, a prescribed uh, notification that we have to read. Thanks to our friends at the SEC, uh, and that is that uh, Greenwood Capital Associates LLC is an SEC-registered independent investment advisor, and the information presented and discussed during today's call is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities investments or investment strategies. Uh, so with that being said, um, how we're going to organize this call is um, I'm going to make some uh, opening comments here about the uh, situation, um, and then we appreciate the questions that were submitted to us, and uh, we're going to go through those uh, after that. So just to kick things off here, I think many of you may have uh, seen the, uh, the note that we sent out to clients uh, at the end of last week, uh, and at the beginning of that note, uh, we had a quote. Um, which said there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. Uh, and I think just re reiterating that is, is, is appropriate given what we've seen over the past, um, you know, several weeks to month here uh, with the market and, and the um, spread of this virus over the, over the globe, really over that time period. Um, kind of just kind of want to walk through what we've seen transpire over the past couple of weeks and kind of what has led us to, uh, perhaps this rally that we've seen uh, here over the past couple of days in in the market, and then you know what, what the outlook is going forward. So, kind of step back in time, uh, if you will, and, and think about the, the two aspects of this and, and the response that we've seen. The first one is the the Federal Reserve or the Central Bank of the United States, and we kind of kicked all this off with uh, an emergency rate cut that the Fed announced uh, on a Tuesday morning. I think two weeks ago now. Seems like uh, seems like a year ago. Uh, but that was kind of the first shot across the bow, if you will, of, of the Fed starting to respond to what was an increasingly, you know, uh, significant uh, threat here in the U.S. from, a, from an economic perspective. Um, since that time, they have announced uh, multiple responses to this, uh, kind of an alphabet soup, if you will, of, of strategies that the Federal Reserve has tried to employ. Many of these uh, were similar or exactly the same as they used uh, in the financial crisis in 2008. Um, and there's been about uh, literally almost one every other day that's been coming out, and we've gotten two significant announcements on Sunday, Sunday nights and Monday mornings for the past two weeks related to uh, the Federal Reserve's action. The reason they are doing this um, is to try to provide liquidity and keep the financial markets functioning in a, in a rational manner, and that may sound kind of strange given what we've seen in financial markets, um, but the, all their efforts have been to provide liquidity into the market such that, you know, again, markets can function properly. And what we had really up until this week, up until the last couple of days, honestly, was a, was a financial market that was really not functioning properly despite all the Federal Reserve's efforts. What we were starting to see is um, credit markets really not functioning very well, starting to kind of seize up and, and not have much liquidity 
um, for uh, corporate bonds, for municipal bonds, et cetera. And what finally seemed to kind of break the back of that illiquidity was the Federal Reserve's most recent and final uh, action that they took on Monday where they announced that they were in fact going to go in directly into the market for uh, corporate bonds as well as municipal bonds and buy those instruments. And so what we saw with that announcement is finally a loosening up of credit uh, in financial markets, and we saw uh, credit spreads uh, that the rate at which corporate bonds trade over treasuries finally stopped going up, uh, indicating stress in the financial system and finally started to come down. Um, so that is one of the main reasons I think we've seen you know, markets move as they have over the last several days is simply the fact that we have started to see some normal functioning uh, in the credit market as a result of the Fed's uh, movements and activities. And I would just note in contrast to you know, 2008, where it took the Federal Reserve really um, multiple months to respond to the evolving crisis. Uh, at that time, they have moved exceptionally fast uh, in this case to respond uh, to the to the crisis that we have. And I think ultimately that's that's a good thing. And I think a lot of the lessons that were learned in 2008 uh, perhaps served us well, served them well in responding, being able to respond very quickly uh, to the financial circumstances um, that we we find ourselves in today. Um, the second aspect of, of what's happened this week uh, significantly is the passage uh, of this uh, stimulus bill, really probably mislabeled as such. It's really kind of a, a stopgap uh, rescue bill, if you will, for, for the economy. Um, and, and But significantly uh, did come to an agreement yesterday on that. It's due to be passed by the House um, tomorrow, uh, supposedly by unanimous consent because the House is not in session, so they're going to do a voice vote, uh, which which has to be unanimous, but we expect that to happen. So the stimulus bill coming to that agreement uh, this week was also significant because what that bill is intending to do is to try to fill this, this void uh, in the economy that we're seeing right now. And uh, for example, today we got kind of the one of the first looks at the real actual economic, you know, short short-term damage being done because of this the the necessity to you know stop the economy effectively here in the U.S. and that would be uh, unemployment claims that were filed. Um, so normally on a normal week you would see you know 250,000 unemployment claims filed thereabouts. Um, today we got 3.2 million. Uh, unemployment claims filed. And so what this bill is intending to address is, are these kind of large-scale layoffs and furloughs that are occurring around the country as a result of this uh, hard stop uh, in the economy. And I think it's a good uh, first step. And I know we have a question on the stimulus bill, so I won't go into the details yet, but I will in that question. Uh, but it is a good first step, uh, $2 trillion uh, in aid to various parts of the economy. Um, I do think there'll be more. Uh, I, I think we'll have another uh, version of this after uh, that will truly be a stimulus bill. Again, this is kind of a stopgap measure, I think, at this point. The next round of this will likely be uh, some type of uh, stimulus, in fact, real stimulus bill that perhaps on infrastructure 
uh, or some other things that would actually really you know grow, restart the economy, help restart the economy, and 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 have it move forward uh, from here. So I think the market has kind of gotten to where it is today as a result of some of these measures that have been taken over the past uh, four to five days by the Federal Reserve uh, and by Congress. And now from here forward is really a question about how long does it take to restart the economy? What's the time frame for that? Uh, so the duration, the depth of the downturn, the duration of the downturn, and then what does the economy look like uh, as you come out of that? Do you, are we able to come out of that quickly? Is there going to be more of a, of a slower kind of evolution of, of opening up uh, the economy? And the, the other thing I would say, too, is that this is not just happening, of course, here in the United States. Uh, this is happening on a global scale. So we know that Europe largely is, is you know, shut down, similar to us. Um, India, uh, which is, I think, the fifth largest economy in the world, um, also just uh, you know, shut their, or their economy down effectively to try to control uh, the spread of the virus. So that's another dynamic at play here is it's not just us uh, restarting ourselves. It's the rest of the world uh, doing that as well, given that we are um, kind of a global economy uh, ultimately. And then the final thing I would say, um, kind of thinking about the future before we get into the, the Q&A section is, you know, we really, if you think about the, the world economy and how it's evolved over the past uh, really 30 plus years uh, since kind of the end of the Cold War, Cold War and uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, is this really been this move um, towards you know, globalization and interconnectedness and global supply chains and so forth. And I think the trade war that occurred before this situation was kind of a shot across the bow in terms of maybe maybe we're shifting to a, to a new dynamic. Uh, I think as a result of um, what we're seeing here and the, the shortcomings of uh, potentially of global supply chains and having to rely on other countries uh, for other for for certain things, um, I think may push us further to reevaluate that dynamic of uh, the global structure, if you will. So I think that's perhaps maybe one of the longer term uh, dynamics that you might see um, as we come out of this on the other side uh, of the virus, which we will, of course, ultimately. Um, but with that, I'll, I'll pause. And uh, John, I don't know if you have any other comments before we we get into the Q and A. Yeah, I think we'll jump right into the questions. We really got some great, great questions from from our clients and friends there. So the first one um, is really kind of to further your point on the stimulus plan, um, specifically maybe with its impact on the market and stocks that. Um, might be subject to the the question says elimination of dividends and buybacks uh, for companies taking government loans. I know they're with, with under the plan there was some uh, restrictions on executive compensation. So if you could speak to how that might affect yep. certain sectors and stocks. Yep. Um, so just to kind of break down the, the couple of the points of the Senate bill, um, which did pass unanimously 96 to nothing. Again, House will take this up tomorrow and expect it to pass it. Um, but ultimately, right around $2 trillion uh, in aid. Um, there's $529 billion allocated directly for specifically for industry uh, relief. 
Um, some of that's directed at specific industries like the airlines, um, for example, and some of that is broken down into larger uh, industry uh, or companies and then mid-size uh, companies as well fall under that 454. And as it relates to uh, the, the restrictions, there are, to the extent that companies participate in this uh, facility, there will be uh, limits on buybacks and dividends and compensation uh, as a result of that. So companies will have to, you know, weigh that trade-off um, in terms of you know, taking some of this money. I think some industries will not have a choice, uh, like the airline industries. I don't, I don't think they have a choice of whether they can take it or not. I think they have, they, they will have to, given the, the virtually, you know, zero revenues that they're taking in at the moment. Um, the, the mid-size. Uh, Focus of the plan, you know, 50 to, to 10,000 employees. Um, those are in the form of kind of low interest uh, loans, if you will, to those businesses. Um, there is a requirement there, too, that they maintain at least 90% of their pre virus workforce in order to participate in that. Um, and they, they also cannot uh, issue dividends, repurchase stock, uh, or outsource or offshore any jobs if they participate in that program. Um, there's a separate uh, component of this specifically for small business relief, um, $377 billion uh, with 500 employees or fewer. Um, this is really meant to target those small businesses to provide a, a buffer for companies to be able to maintain their workforce, so not have to you know, fire their workforce as a result of the shutdown, and this is what these funds are meant to do. Um, there's a question about whether some, of course, some companies have already laid off workers because they had to, and the question has been raised about whether they could qualify for this if they've already laid off workers. And I think the response I'm hearing is that the, if, if they could use these funds to rehire their workers effectively, you know, that would be uh, that would be okay. Um, there, there is these are um, forgivable loans to these small businesses. Again, assuming that they maintain. Um, their employment. So again, that's meant to really address the small business aspect of this. Um, and then there's the individual component of this. So uh, individual employers can uh, defer payroll uh, taxes for up to two years. That's about $300 billion in, in relief. There are going to be individual checks. That's another $300 billion, $1,200 for individual, $500 per child. It does get phased out above certain income levels. Um, there's another $250 billion in expanded unemployment insurance, so this speaks to that big increase that we saw in unemployment claims um, and is meant to, to try to address that. And then importantly, um, there's uh, aid directly for state and local governments, $150 billion, and another $100 billion specifically for hospitals, because two aspects of this that maybe not are readily apparent uh, when you think through it is you know, many municipalities uh, derive revenue from sales tax. Revenues and, and of course, there's not a lot of sales tax revenues being generated at this point, given the shutdown in many parts of the country. So that's putting a strain um, on on some of these municipalities. Um, you you've also got uh, increased costs related to trying to uh, you know shut uh, municipality down or deal with the the virus in general. So kind of a double hit uh, from that standpoint. So definitely need some support there. And then on the hospital side. Uh, if you think about this, um, you know, hospitals and, and 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 their workers are the front lines here of this of this battle, and hospitals are again kind of getting hit from two sides. One is 
the increased costs associated with, with with dealing with this pandemic, and then the other side of that is the elective surgeries uh, to a large degree have been canceled uh, for the time being, and that's another you know, big source of revenue for for certain hospital systems for for many hospital systems. So hospitals you know, definitely need some uh, some individual support as well. So, like I said, it's a good first start. It's not the end. Um, this is actually the third. Uh, bill that's passed related to uh, the virus, and uh, it will not be the last. Uh, it's my expectation, and in fact, um, uh, House Speaker Pelosi uh, was already out uh, this afternoon talking about another round that would include, you know, potentially some infrastructure uh, investment. Great, great. Um, so the next question here is. Um, what would indicate to you that the equity rally of the last few days is sustainable? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and and that's 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 a hard one to de definitively answer. So a couple of things that we're looking at: um, one is kind of the, the nature of the rally um, and, and the characteristics of it. So what we've seen off the bottom, uh, starting on Tuesday, is the most beaten up areas of the market, you know, that being restaurants and airlines and so forth, have, have rallied the hardest. So that's you know, probably not surprising, but it's been fairly one-sided uh, in that respect. Um, so the other thing that's uh, interesting about this this rally is, is the um, – you, you often hear people say, you know, uh, this is the best uh, one-day move in the, in the Dow Jones since, uh, you know, 1932. Uh, not a great reference point, of course, uh, during during the Great Depression. So, a lot of times when you um, see these really sharp moves like we've seen in the past couple of days, um, that can be kind of initial thrust. But then it's very rare to see that you know, kind of follow through in a straight line higher. Um, so, we would, given kind of the characteristics we've seen to date, uh, we would expect you know some volatility to kind of come back into the market. It's not that the lows you know on monday might not have been the you know might not ultimately hold as the lows uh but again you 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 typically the bottoming of the stock market in these circumstances is typically kind of more of a process than a specific kind of event or day uh even though it may be the case uh for specific names um the other things that we are watching um that have improved over the past week um as i mentioned before credit spreads um, those have been higher almost every day of the sell-off up until three days ago, and have start, started to come down. So that's encouraging. Um, we're watching the U.S. dollar relative to other currencies um, that had been moving higher, dramatically higher, because there was a kind of a flight to quality and a scramble for dollars, kind of in the teeth of this uh, sell-off, and so that pushed the dollar up. Um, we finally started to see that ease. That's a function of the Fed, some of the Fed's actions, so that's positive. And the final thing we're looking at is the volatility index, which is called the VIX index. Um, and what we've seen with that is it has come off its highs uh, from late last week, early this week, um, at around 83, 84 uh, on that level. That's the peak level, and it's trading around 61 right now, which, again, the numbers probably don't mean anything to you. But um, So it has come down. But it's still, you know, very elevated. Um, so that's another thing we're we're watching as well. So our sense is that, you know, we've gotten this relief rally based on the stimulus bill and the Fed actions, 
it's now we've got kind of the hard work ahead of us around the virus uh, evolution going forward, um, not only in New York, but in other areas of the country that is starting to to pop up. And then, you know, the kind of the economic realities of, of this hard stop and the implications of that. And I think that could create, um, you know, some, some more volatility uh, in the market before we ultimately kind of resolve out of this on the other side. Right. Um, this next question here talks about the uh, economy um, after the virus, and, and there's no, no doubt that activities have been curtailed uh, or certainly altered uh, due to the virus. So what, what does our economy look like after all the dust settles with the virus and the shutdown of most of the service sector is the question. Yeah. So we, this is something we've been talking about internally quite a bit is, is thinking through the implications of this uh, potential long-term implications of what we're going through right now, and and, and I've kind of thought about the way the way 9/11 uh, kind of changed certain aspects of our lives. Uh, if you think about that time period, and I do think that um, there will be a lot of pent-up demand uh, to uh, to you know, go out to eat and, and so forth after. <laughs> Everybody's sitting at home um, for for so long, uh, but then ultimately, I th I do think the, the the virus itself, you know, is going to force us to you know, change, perhaps change some of our habits and the the kind of after that initial surge of demand, uh, perhaps you know, pent up demand once once we're free to kind of move around more. Um, I think the evolution of that may may change, you know, going forward in terms of you know, how much how much do we travel? Do we travel closer to home and not fly as much? For example, um, do, do does you know Vegas come back to the way it was with you know the crowded casinos and so forth? So, I, it, it, it's you know sitting here today, there's no question that there's going to be some changes. Um, you know, cleanliness in the in, in the food service industry. Or, you know, are people going to want to see people serving uh, serving their food? You know, wearing gloves and and uh, uh, you know, with masks on for a period of time, you know, uh, who knows? So I, I do think there will be some some subtle and some not so subtle uh, changes to the economy. And I do think that this uh, the concept of having so many people working from home right now and how that has worked uh, to a large degree um, pretty pretty well for a lot of people. I do think that's going to be perhaps a more permanent fixture where or a lot more increased flexibility around working uh, in remote locations and from home. And I think, you know, in one of the investments that's going to have to be made is in the, the infrastructure of, of the internet here in our country. It's good, but it's straining. It's actually straining around the world as so many people are using it at one time. So that's another area that we think is going to really be a focus. As you think about infrastructure, it's not just roads and bridges, it's going to be the technological infrastructure uh, of our country and other countries to try to to reflect, um, you know, what we've what we've witnessed here uh, over the past you know month or so with, with people working from home. So those are just some of the some of the aspects of this that we've we've thought about. That's that's great. We had another question about sectors, um, which I think you probably just 
covered there um, with where we seeing opportunities, but also along with that question, it was about how, how various sectors performed going into the drop and then what we've seen in the rally in the last couple of days. Um, yep. Maybe you can speak to the, the sectors. Yep. So when this when the sell-off uh, started, uh, really uh, this was the case up until about uh, four or five days ago, um, there were uh, it started in the uh, very cyclical areas of the market, um, you know, banks, industrials, energy, of course, with the collapse in oil, um, very acutely focused there. There were places to kind of hide out, uh, just you know, on a relative basis in, in utilities and some of these consumer staples that you know are, are providing all these. You know, who knew that cereal was going to be popular again? <laughs> Uh, for example, and uh, of course, everybody buying the Clorox products. So those were kind of places to hide uh, for a period of time. But then, as we as the sell-off kind of deepened, and, and this is not unusual to see, is that ultimately, when when it plays out, there's really no place left left to kind of hide out when when it's all said and done. And that's definitely what we saw um, in the in the week kind of leading up to the last few days, where utilities. For example, we're down 25%, um, you know, in in, in the past week uh, uh, th through last week, uh, consumer staples were getting hit. So they they kind of took out the last soldiers, if you will, uh, in this sell-off. And then uh, since we've uh, rebounded uh, over the last three days, as I mentioned earlier, it's really been acutely focused in those areas that were uh, hardest hit uh, in the sell-off. And um, so I think we've kind of seen that ricochet in, in those areas that have seen some dramatic moves uh i think we'll start to see kind of some normalization uh around that uh, as we move forward as people try to ultimately that's kind of a, a kind of a knee-jerk reaction and then as we try to the market tries to figure out okay who who are the long-term winners and losers here in, in this scenario as it plays out you know that will start to get get sorted out um as we move forward from from this point great um, we, we have a couple of questions on housing. Um, I'll probably take this first one here on mortgage rates. Um, the question is, how quickly do you think they will rise once this is over? And um, to, so the mortgage market has really been damaged here in the last couple of weeks, and mortgage rates are actually trading very wide to their historical norms. So the long-term average for the 30-year mortgage rate is about one and a half to two percentage points above the 10-year Treasury yield. Currently, it's about three percentage points above the 10-year Treasury yield. So, so as these stresses through these programs that the Fed is putting in place, as, as the stresses in, in the market abates, you should see mortgage rates move lower before moving higher. Um, and the second one there is about um, housing prices. Um, so if you want to speak to that, Walter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so real estate prices in general, um, I think uh, w w you would expect to to come in as a result of this. Um, you know, we what we saw, for example, um, last week with the the mortgage application data that we that we saw, you know, really drop precipitously. Not perhaps unexpectedly, because you know just people aren't you know moving around and and um and not anxious to, to to go into a house and 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 put money down and, and those type of things so 
So I think there's a short-term, you know, definite uh, hit to uh, activity levels at homes. Uh, and I think, you know, depending on how quickly the economy recovers and we get back to, uh, to, to normal is going to dictate, you know, kind of how much of a, of a shock to the system, if you will, you see, you see with home prices. I mean, I think ultimately that will start to normalize as we move, you know, through the back half of this year and, and into uh, 2021. So you could see, you know, a, a downdraft as you know, we got supply and, and, and maybe demand is slower to come back. Um, but I, I would think that would start to you know, pick back up as we got into into next year and things start to to look a little more normal on that basis. Yeah, great. Um, I think you've covered most of this, but one one other question on uh, pro could you provide some scenarios on how long this could take? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, thinking kind of thinking about this, a lot of people have tried to look at, um, you know, the, the experience in China uh, and, and in terms of, you know, their, their lockdown and kind of the time frame for them uh, opening back up their, their economy. Um, and if you, if you use that, um, you know, they're, they're starting to get back to normal. Um, so they, they started their lockdown uh, really hard, I think towards the, the back half of January um, and they saw uh, the, the caseload start to peak, I think, about six weeks after that. And then it was another, you know, four to you know, four weeks plus after that where they started to kind of slowly start to open things back up. You know, our if you want to – our lockdown, I'm going to put that in air quotes, uh, it started um, really in, uh, in New York in earnest, you know, about a you know, week and a half ago. Um, if you think about it, maybe two weeks ago, you could say. Um, the challenge, I think, with using uh, the Chinese uh, as a roadmap, the Chinese market and, and economy as a roadmap, is, is that China had an acute problem in really one uh, province, uh, if you will. Now, it was a big area. I mean, it was, you know, if you took the whole thing, it was, I think, you know, 40 million people or something of that nature. It got be equivalent to California, basically. Um, but they locked down that entire area in dramatic fashion um, to control the, the spread of the virus. And of course, with the U.S., um, we've got multiple of these situations. We've got California, we've got uh, New York, and then we've got some other areas like New Orleans that are, that are picking up a little bit. So I, I think it's, um, it could, so I think, you know, an optimistic scenario that, that we, you know, New York starts to see peak cases in, in, in the next couple of weeks, and we're able to um, contain some of these other areas that are that are starting to to rise. Um, and then, so peak cases in two weeks in New York, another you know two to four weeks after that before you can start to kind of open things back up. Um, and then and then you start that normalization process, and that's another question about you know how does that look. Um, in the U.S. versus, say, China. Um, it, it, on the on the flip side, you know, if, if it was a, a worse scenario, you know, it could it could be a longer time frame. You know, uh, if if we you know shut down New York, but then we see a pickup uh, some in some other location that would cause that area to be shut down. I think the goal in all of this uh, and where we need to get to that would would make this much more manageable, and I think this is what we're trying to do 
is, is and this is what South Korea did very well was isolate the the hot spots in different parts of the country and more localize the shutdowns or the quarantines more than having to shut down an entire state. You know, California quarantined the whole state when in actuality the most acute part of the problem was in San Francisco. San Diego wasn't really a problem yet they, you know, they quarantined the whole state because because of the lack of testing and that capability at this point, that's really the only reaction we have. But I think the goal ultimately is to get to a point where we can localize those quarantines where we if we have enough testing, we'll be able to see where these hot spots are emerging in different parts of the country and jump on those very quickly to eliminate um, the spread uh, beyond that. So uh, I think that's where, where we want to head. And, and uh, I will tell you, encouragingly, um, when I listen to, for example, you know, a conference call from Nike, uh, who had the experience of being a business that was operating in China while this was going on, um, and and actually hearing firsthand from them, uh, boots on the ground, that they are starting to see a normalization process in China, it does give you uh, the prospect and the hope that, you know, this can happen. You know, we'll, we'll get to the other side of this and we will start to see um, some normalization. I think we're, I think a lot of people are looking to uh, look into Italy because they started their lockdown, their, their hard lockdown, you know, two weeks ago. It looks like cases are maybe starting to to peak, although we seem to be kind of getting you know a little, little bump up here uh, in the last few days. But it, it doesn't appear to be accelerating in Italy anymore. So so that would be another thing to look at in terms of the time frames we might be uh, be dealing with here. Great. Um, the next question here: um, What? are your views on the short-term and long-term impact of distressed debt, notwithstanding the bailout? So with knowing that most of the distressed debt now resides in the energy sector, you want to speak to uh, the energy sector? Yeah. Um, I think there are two two aspects to this. One is um, – so energy has got its own – problems uh, that were kind of there before all this broke out, and it's, this just kind of compounded the issue um, with with low oil prices and the um, the price war, if you will, that broke out between Saudi Arabia and Russia, very ill-timed. Uh, and so there is a lot of acute pressure in, in the oil patch uh, in the middle of the country, uh, specifically in Texas, but there are other spots around the country as well. And so I think those are going to Take take a while to uh, to work out. I think you will see some bankruptcies. I think you will see some consolidation there to kind of work through the the excess capacity that exists uh, here in the U.S. But on the other hand, um, thinking through this uh, as it relates to the banks, um, one of the aspects to this to this what, what the Fed has done and what the Congress just just did with the stimulus bill is in a large way kind of backstop. I think. Uh, the bank's exposure here, and by that I mean that if you, if you had a borrower that was otherwise healthy and now has become distressed because of the shutdown related to the virus, there are mechanisms in place uh, through this through the Fed and through um, this uh, stimulus bill that was just passed for the banks to provide support and flexibility to provide support 
uh, to those institutions, whereas in an in otherwise normal kind of economic recession, you know, banks would not have a lot of flexibility to to work out loans with with borrowers. You know, they would have to take a pretty hard line on that. There's a tremendous amount of flexibility being given by regulators by these bills uh, for banks to um, to work with clients and even provide direct funding from the government through these mechanisms and these bills uh, to these borrowers. And I think that's you know I think there was some concern by us as well as others uh, about the the potential for this to uh, you know evolve in not from a healthcare crisis to a financial crisis uh, you know even greater than we've than we've seen so far in, in, with, with stocks for example in that the banks you know would have excess exposure to losses as a result of this but I do think um, I do think that the these actions being taken by the government and by the Federal Reserve have, have to a large degree kind of settled that down a little bit. Great. Um, a question here on ETF investing. So it says, do you think ETF investing continues to make sense in this environment as opposed to acquiring diverse individual dividend stocks, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, with this um, stressed environment that we've seen uh, in the marketplace, you have seen some unusual uh, behaviors in, in some exchange-traded funds. Um, in the short term, a lot of that has start, started to normalize um, here in the last couple of days as the markets have kind of you know, freed up a little bit or you know, traded a little uh, more in a little more liquid fashion. Um, so I think you know again, depending on the uh, the circumstances and the, and the funds, I think, either can be appropriate um, in terms of the ETF uh, versus the uh, individual, you know, stocks and bonds. Uh, it just kind of depends on the individual client circumstance. Sure. Um, okay, a question on the uh, election. So, how do you feel the COVID nineteen virus will change or alter the presidential <laughs> election? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when this first started to to play out, uh, I would say the first two weeks of of uh, this you know, kind of getting more serious, um, it was the view of you, you, what you could see in the polling data is that uh, investors or the public did did not uh, was not real happy with how it was being handled, uh, and so you saw the the poll numbers for the um, for the incumbent administration uh, go down, uh, and and the you know, whoever the the challenger would be uh, go up, um, and, and at one point um, they crossed that being that the, the, the betting markets were predicting a, a Democratic winner to the presidential election versus versus uh, the current administration. Um, that as Trump has uh, you know kind of responded uh, in, a, in a more uh, deliberate fashion, I would say doing these weekly press conference or daily press conferences uh, to address the situation and, and, and try to move very quickly. You've seen that reverse to a certain degree. And now you, uh, you know, betting markets are, are it's now kind of a 50, 50 proposition or maybe slightly favoring the, the current administration. So all that to say that there's no question that uh, this is going to impact uh, potentially impact the outcome of the election. And, and, and what we know from history, and this is, you know, this is certainly an unusual circumstance by any stretch of the imagination. But, but what we do know is when the, you know the kind of the market is down ahead of an election or the economy is in a recession, the year of the election, 
it's a relative, admittedly a small sample size, but we know it, when that happened uh, with uh, Carter and uh, Bush one, uh, they both you know, lost uh, their reelection bids. So stock market's definitely down, <laughs> uh, and we're gonna we're probably you know in a recession uh, at this point, given given the numbers that we're seeing. Uh, it's just a question of how long it lasts. Uh, so that you know, if you use history as a guide, that would you know potentially uh, influence the, the outcome of the election. But it's it's, it's definitely going to definitely going to be a topic of conversation, um, you know, as we move into the into the uh, debate season in the fall. Yeah, we have one more question on the uh, stimulus package, um, which uh, on a scale from one to ten, how would you rate the stimulus package? Is there more to come? I know you spoke about uh, Pelosi's announcement today about hopefully having some infrastructure uh, package yeah. on deck. So I'll just ask if you have any more comments there. Yeah. So on a scale of one to 10, um, I would probably rate it. Uh, I would probably rate it an eight. Uh, and the reason I would rate it an eight is because there is uh, some pork in there. Uh, that being things, funds that are totally unrelated to the current crisis as always happens uh, in these circumstances, even in this amazing circumstance. Um, and the fact, the other reason I ding it a little bit is it, it, it took too long to happen. This thing should have been passed on Monday um, so that we could already be kind of moving forward and getting the money out to, to the to the folks in the economy. Uh, and so the fact that it, it dragged on a little bit is, is not my favorite thing. I do think there's definitely more to come. There's going to have to, there's going to have to be more to come on the backside of this. And the way to kind of think about that in numbers is we have roughly a $22 trillion economy uh, before this thing hit. Um, we're going to take, you know, in the second quarter by some estimates, a, a 10% plus kind of annualized hit to economic numbers. Um, so if it's 10 to 20%, you know, that's, you know, that's a two to, two to $4 trillion hole uh, to, to fill. We've, we've done that. We've done a shot with 2 trillion, but we're going to need more. Uh, and the fed is obviously the federal reserve is obviously there, you know, providing additional support on top of that. But I think lawmakers are going to need to do, uh, do more ultimately. Uh, a couple questions here on, on interest rates. Um, what are the chances of negative interest rates on two, five, and ten-year treasuries? Um, I'll take a swipe at that. Um, so rates currently are negative out to nine months, um, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, the two-year treasury yield is about 0.3%, so really a rounding error there before it gets to, to negative. I think the Federal um, Reserve would like to keep rates uh, positive and specifically uh, keep the yield curve, that is low, uh, shorter term rates to longer term rates, in an upward sloping fashion. Um, so interestingly, um, last year with the negative rates in Europe and Japan, there was about 17 trillion around the globe of negative yielding debt um, with the stimulus in Europe, their rates have moved higher. There's currently about eight and a half trillion uh, of negative yielding debt around the globe. So um, the point there is that the, the Fed would not 
like to see it. Certainly banks would not like to see um, negative rates out the yield curve. One other question here, uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has lowered rates to zero. What does that mean to the average investor? Um, <laughs> it's frustrating, of course. Um, while it's certainly welcome news to companies and individuals that borrow money, um, the average investor, I would say, the, certainly the retired fixed income investor will yet again struggle to find any yield. Um, Unfortunately, last time the Fed went to zero after 2008, it took about seven years before they were able to raise interest rates. So we might be in for, for a long haul here trying to find yield elsewhere. Have any other comments on that? Zero rate, Walter? Uh, yeah. Um, no. Probably not. I mean, I I would uh, I hope that perhaps lawmakers can uh, call. What what hasn't moved is every other rate has moved is like uh, your credit card rate. So uh, right. perhaps in the next bill uh, they can uh, inquire as to why uh, those are are pegged at uh, at the rates they are. Maybe those those will eventually come down and ease that ease that cost. But we haven't certainly haven't seen that yet. We got a, uh, another email question in here. Um, do you expect oil and gas to make any comeback in 2020? And um, and the situation between uh, the Russians, Russians and the Saudis and their their war on gas prices. Yeah. So, um, so oil prices um, are kind of like you know a lot of different aspects of our economy that are being hit from multiple sides. Um, we had a glut of uh, or an excess supply of oil before this virus hit, and that had been you know, keeping downward pressure on oil. Um, you think about kind of all the countries in the world that are kind of on a hard stop at the moment, and, and you've got a massive hit to demand. So you had this excess supply that was compounded when the when Saudi Arabia said, you know what, we're just going to keep pumping um, because Russia wouldn't agree to a cut. And so you've got an excess supply compounded with a real big hit in demand, which is going to keep, I think, keep a, keep oil prices fairly low um, unless there's some agreement that's reached um, between Saudi Arabia and Russia to kind of, you know, have a detente and, and, and stop um, and stop, you know, producing excess oil. So uh, if that happens, that may stabilize oil, but you're still going to have a really outsized demand uh, hit there. And so I think uh, for, for the price of oil, it's probably going to be fairly range-bound and subject to kind of sharp you know, moves up and down. Um, as far as the you know, energy equities, um, I, you know, you've seen you know, a, a pretty big snapback rally in, in, in some of those names. Uh, here recently, but I, I do think the um, I do think that industry is going to be challenged for a bit, just in terms of the you know, their capital expenditures and you know potentially even some of the dividends uh, uh, needing to be cut. We've seen that to a certain degree on, with a few companies already. Um, I do think, though, as you look out, uh, what this is going to ultimately lead to, because all this 
supply is being basically shut in or shut down as a result of what's going on here, what we're going to find ourselves in, you know, whether it's 12 months from now or 18 months from now or, or 24 months from now, is a, a shortage of supply. Uh, and so I do think looking out a little bit further, uh, while there's going to be still probably some you know, some, some short to medium term pain, um, that the setup further out is potentially for a a shortage of supply because we've cut all this capital capital expenditures in the oil patch, and I think that's um, that's going to be interesting down the road, but but not for now. Right. We had one more question come in. It's pretty specific about the um, the bill, the stimulus bill, um, asking about any expenses beyond salary for small business. Um, yeah. So insurance, um, rent, rent. I know yeah, it's included. Uh, what what I got uh, in the summary I have in front of me, um, I see that it is uh, eligible uh, for payroll, mortgage, you know, mortgage or rent, utilities, healthcare costs. Uh, and other debt obligations is, is how this this summary reads. Um, so I think it's I think it's you know, I think you can use it for a lot you know fairly wide number of things. But um, those are those are specific ones. Um, but I can I've actually got a pretty detailed summary um, from Strategus uh, that's actually kind of walks through more specifically, and I, we can. Uh, Everybody wants that, and we can send that. Um, we can send that out. Right. That looks like all the questions that we had. Um, a, lot, a lot of great questions. Yeah. So to kind of wrap things up, and again, appreciate everybody spending some time this afternoon. Um, uh, the sun is out here in Greenville, so I know it's nice to kind of get outside uh, in, in this day and time. So we want to let everybody enjoy enjoy the sunshine, but. Again, appreciate the time on the call today, and, and uh, you know, hopefully um, you found it helpful. If you think of any uh, you know, follow-up questions or you know, certainly anything going forward as we kind of navigate through this environment together, um, we want to be here to answer those questions and, and help in any way we can. Um, and I know we made the offer before, but if there are any, if there's anybody on the call that um, you know, beyond our, our investment help that we can provide if we can uh, you know provide any de delivery of groceries or meals or medicines uh, you know we're we're here to help in any way that we can because as I said in my commentary last week that this is this is taking a a, a joint effort of everybody uh, around the world in the in our communities uh, to get through it and that is one thing I will tell you that has been very uh, you know great thing to see is how uh, individuals and even companies uh, have stepped up to the plate uh, during this crisis to provide uh, support to their employees, um, to their hospital systems, et cetera. So we want to um, do the same thing. So again, appreciate the time and I look forward to, uh, to touching base in the future. Thanks so much.